Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I am in conversation with a fellow Central Ohio native, Paradise Square's A.J. Shively. And even though he decided to turn his back on everything that is good and holy in the Columbus metropolitan area and go to that school up north, I still gave him the benefit of the doubt and took the interview anyway. But in addition to talking about his Central Ohio roots and how seeing a national tour in Columbus led to doing theater in Central Ohio and which led to him going to New York and thus being on a national tour, we also talk about how AJ, who describes himself as a plus mover, uh, found himself in a very Irish dance heavy central role in Paradise Square. He also talks about how the messages of this Civil War set musical resonate today and how as they've been developing it over the past four years, they found more ways that the story connects to what we're living through today. We will of course have information on where you can purchase tickets to see AJ in Paradise Square, as well as how you can follow him on social media in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com. All right, with all that out of the way, Here's my conversation with A.J. Shively. All right, so A.J., I I know you jumped onto Zoom and you are wearing a hat from your alma mater, which I understand, but considering that we are both Central Ohio natives and I'm an Ohio State grad, it did pain me a little bit (laughs) when that picture came up. Um, I know it's unavoidable in musical theater, and every time I talk to somebody from Central Ohio, I have to mention that. But you are, like me, a Central Ohio native, but you did go to that school up north. So I did go to that school up north. I did. I did. The school up north. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, thank um, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, when uh, when um, I, there was a, a graduation ceremony of some kind where they like, read where kids were going to college, and when they came to my name, uh, the whole auditorium booed me. Good. You great. deserve it. Nice big bow. Yeah. <laughs> One, well, you know, the real problem is my mom's family grew up in South Bend, so they're oh. all Notre Dame people. So it's just a Big Ten big mess over in my household. Yeah, that, there's a the the big three main schools in the Midwest are all represented in your household. So I guess that makes sense. I'll I'll allow it, I suppose. But yeah. um, so uh, you are from uh, uh, from Dublin. I I graduated from Pickerington, so we're on opposite sides. Yep. Yeah. But you know, it's kind of interesting to me that despite the largeness of of Ohio State, especially in that area. Um, the theater has been a little, you know, kind of paled in comparison to to Michigan where you went. But the more I kind of, you know, talk to folks, the more Ohio, Central Ohio people I've seen popping up. You've got Bonnie Milligan, obviously, and Tala Ash, who's in the Vagrant Trilogy over at The Public right now. Like, there's quite a few folks from Central Ohio um, that have made their way to New York. What was your performing background like as a kid? Obviously, you went to Michigan to study it. But before you got to that point, what was your performing career like growing up in and around Columbus? Well, I had a very unusual experience. Um, so I'm the only I'm the only one in the arts in my family. Um, but everyone was a patron of the arts, you know. So I went, yeah. I grew up going to see the national tours. It's one of the best parts about living in a you know the capital city is all the concerts come through, all the tours come through. Um, and when I was 10, we went and saw, and I loved it. I loved the theater. I loved going. I, I loved movies. I, I was, I'm very into to immersive storytelling. Um, and so when I was 10, we went to see a national tour and there were a bunch of kids in the show. 
And it was the first time it had kind of occurred to me that I could do that. Um, so I, that summer did a, a play at the Columbus Children's Theater. And I kind of have never stopped doing plays ever since. Um, the, the Columbus Children's Theater had a relationship with Nancy Carson, uh, uh, the preeminent child agent of the, of the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, and I was coming to New York when I was 12 on a vacation to visit my aunt and uncle who live here. And through the Columbus Children's Theater, set up a meeting with this agent. The meeting went well. So the agent sent me on an audition just as like, you know, a favor during the lunch break to see how I handled myself by the self in the room. And I wound up getting cast in the national tour of the sound of music from that, <laughs> that little test trial run. Um, so I kind of fell headfirst into the deep end. Um, I was on a national tour. I, you know, got my equity card and all that stuff. I did a whole child acting thing, moved to New York for a few years. Um, and, uh, wound up finishing out, uh, my childhood, my high school in Ohio and kind of thinking I was going to leave the business until it came time to apply for schools. And I was like, you know, I really, I got to give this a shot. Um, and, uh, the reason Michigan became, you know, in my radar, cause that's obviously your guidance counselor at your central Ohio public high school yeah. doesn't know much about musical theater programs. <laughs> Um, I was in New York again, visiting my aunt, visiting Nancy Carson at her office and a very nice young lady, one of her clients at the time, um, was in the office and we were talking about applying to college. And, uh, she was like, you know, you should really give university of Michigan a look. It's where I went and I loved it there. And that nice young lady was Celia Keenan Bulger. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That helps. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I applied, I got in it had the academics that I was interested in, as well as the, the kind of conservatory style training. Um, and that's kind of what blasted me off into New York. Can I ask just because I also went to a lot of the, uh, the national tours that were in town about this time, do, what was the show that you saw that had kids in it that kind of prompted all of this? Big. The musical Big. Okay. I didn't see that one, but uh, that yeah. makes sense. That makes sense around that time. Yeah, well, it was, it was, I mean, because it, it was like the leads of the show, you know, Yeah, all the big parts. It wasn't just, you know, I, I loved, I loved, uh, I had a video of Mary Martin's Peter Pan. And of course there were yeah. kids in that, but they were like, they weren't the main part. Yeah. I grew up watching that one and uh, Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella with um, uh, Stuart Damon and, oh, um, Leslie, Leslie uh, Ann Warren, Leslie, Leslie Ann Warren. Warren. Yeah, yeah. I grew up watching yeah. those as well. So like, that's very yeah. similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I had all the commercials memorized, everything. Yep. It was like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So, so from there, you obviously, you go to Michigan and, uh, you, you go all of the, do all of the stuff there. And then you, you come to Broadway for the first time, uh, in Lacage and then, you kind of make your, I would say, principal debut in in Bright Star, at least as the full time, um, and and things kind of changed for you there. What was, the, as your career kind of ebbed and flowed, working you know both in and outside of New York, what was the opportunity to kind of lead a Steve Martin E. Burkell musical? How did that change your life and the trajectory of your career? Man, it's still the like just the best experience I've had because I was with the Bright Star from the first workshop all the way through. Oh wow! Um, and to be able to develop the piece 
for what ended up being five, six years um, was, and, and to be in that room, to be developing the piece with those people, you know, um, with Walter Bobby and Steve and Edie and Josh Rhodes, our choreographer and Rob Berman, our music director. It was just the most collaborative experience, um, you know, to work with Carmen Cusack and at, at, every day for five years. Like it yeah, was, that's, uh, that's good. It was really, really great. Um, and I think, you know, I've always been, my favorite part of the process is rehearsal. I love, you know, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm in this business because I love immersive storytelling and being in the room where it happens, right? Being in the room, watching how these creative decisions get made and how the story develops and evolves is my favorite part. Um, and I would say, you know, yeah, Lacage was great and it happened basically as soon as I moved to New York, I was, I, when I got the offer for Jean-Michel, I was like, you mean the understudy, right? And they were like, no. And, and I had always intended to go to grad school. Um, so doing the college for that time, you know, watching Douglas Hodge in his Tony winning performance, eight shows a week for over a year, um, kind of was my grad school, but to, to do bright star, it, it kind of, I think, you know, I, I, it, it opened the door to a lot more developmental pieces. And I, I've been working with incredible directors, incredible writers, just in the developmental process of these pieces. And it's what I love the best. And it's been so fulfilling. And I love that my, that, that my career kind of took that turn um, with Bright Star. Kind of once I started doing the workshops with Bright Star, I started doing more readings and workshops and um, yeah, just meeting as many of these smart, creative geniuses as i can <laughs> well with that turn you said you started doing more workshops and, and developmental stuff is that what led you then to paradise square indeed yes um so i did a workshop at paradise square in 2018 um and i've been uh, i've been with the project ever since and the project has changed so much i can't even yeah. describe to you um that like none of the material I used to audition for the workshop is in the show anymore. Like, and to the point where not even just not in the show, but it's a completely, the character is not the same. Like what he's, what, how he behaves and what he's after and his spine throughout the show has completely changed. Um, when I auditioned, for those of you who've seen the show, this will, this will make a lot more sense. And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, it will once you see the show. I, when I auditioned, they said that there might be a moment of Irish dancing. So I didn't even have a oh, dance audition. I was going to ask about this. Yeah. So, so please, <laughs> please elaborate. Right. So, so they, they thought there might be a moment of Irish dancing because the, the show takes place in a bar and uh, that's what would happen in these bars um, in this neighborhood in this time. Um, and I am now, you know, I, I keep saying Bill T. Jones, our choreographer, his whole philosophy is that an artist's best work comes from, the place that's beyond what they think they're capable of. Um, and I am, for someone who didn't grow up dancing, who, when I graduated from my musical theater program was told, you know, you're a mover plus, so you'll be in the singing ensemble, but if they need a body in the back, you can like fill the space and not draw bad focus. Um, to go from kind of that outlook to being a, a principal dancer, I don't know how better to describe it. It's, I have, I have like a five minute dance solo. <laughs> so, so how do you get yourself to that point? Obviously you've been, this has been developing over the, yes. over the years, but like, 
what did you have to do to get yourself both physically and mentally ready to tackle that? Because to do it at all is impressive, but to do it on a Broadway stage eight times a week, like that takes more than just getting your body ready to do it. I'm sure that has, you know, kind of changed your mentality about how you approach life in general and performing in general as well. It's true. The mental hurdles were definitely the highest ones Um, because, you know, we're from the Midwest. We've got that kind of workhorse ethic. Yeah. Uh, Like they would teach me the steps and I, I couldn't get them and I would just drill them by myself. I'd be like, I'll have this in two days. We can come back to it in two days. And then you can give me notes about how, uh, you know, some finessing notes, but um, I had the best choreography team. Um, Garrett Coleman and Jason Ramos, who did all the Irish choreography in the show, um, are both world champion Irish dancers. They've both, you know, toured for years with river dance. Um, and they have created this kind of fusion Irish step contemporary style, um, with their group Hammerstep. Um, and they've been the most incredible teachers, um, you know, of course, there's like a pain threshold you have to get over when you're growing your calf muscles, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, which was mostly my experience in Berkeley. Um, <laughs> just trying to learn how to Irish step dance plus doing the show. Uh, just my brother made so much fun of me when he came up to see the show in Berkeley because he said uh, I was shuffling like a like a an old man <laughs> off stage you mean as well off stage yeah like down the streets of Berkeley I, was, I couldn't lift my legs <laughs> um so once you get over once I got over that hump it was a complete mental game and um you know our associate choreographer and dance captain Chloe Davis has been such a huge help um just with finesse and and uh you know I I, I tend to be an anxious kind of stage variety person anyway so doing something that you're not comfortable with and having that be kind of the central uh, piece of your character's puzzle like it ends up that's what Owen Dugnan my character it's it's like the main thing about him that we know is that he's he's an Irish dancer which is wild um and and uh it's been a really great exercise in kind of releasing control relinquishing control and just the power of joy that you know when I found a way to access joy within the movement um it suddenly became a lot easier and um a lot more expressive i think this show you mentioned the joy uh there i haven't i'm seeing it in a couple weeks but there's Mm -hmm. there is uh, a lot of joy in this story i know but there's also um a lot of pain and and strife and and drama and conflict as well as you would expect from most plays and musicals but the content of this show, though it is a century and a half old or whatever the time period, uh, you know, that however long that length of period is, it, it does have a resonance that feels modern and and applicable to society today. During the development of this piece, how did those conversations go that you were telling a story based on real events that happened, you know, in the Civil War-ish era? But how did those relations to what we were seeing today and the world's changed quite a bit since you started developing uh, and, and working with Paradise Square? What were those conversations amongst the cast and creative team that kind of allowed it to kind of tap into some of the good and bad that we saw happening in the world around you? 
Yeah, well, it's been remarkable as time has gone with this project. There's always a current event that seems to be like right in the center of of topic of conversation. Um, so, uh, you know, when the Russian invasion of Ukraine happened while we were in rehearsal, it was all of a sudden all the the themes in the show about serving the military and wanting to serve but not being allowed to serve or being pressed into service. Um, all of a sudden they ring, they ring in a different way. Um, the show is really dense. You know, it's about, it's about the American melting pot. So there's a lot of different cultures there. Um, and a huge part of the early stage stages of, of putting the show together, the early workshop stages, um, Moises Kaufman with his, his company Tectonic um, works in a, a, a way that they call devising um, where it's just, you know, he's really, really excellent at putting a lot of, open smart people in a room together and like facilitating conversation um and that's a lot of the workshop process even the rehearsal process all the way through to broadway we would have these difficult situations come up in the storytelling and we would sit and we would talk through it and we would explain you know what the viewpoint of an immigrant versus the viewpoint of, um, uh, you know, uh, an upper middle class white person versus the viewpoint of a contemporary, like a person growing up as a, a black American today versus the history of what it meant to be a black American. And um, we sat, we spent hours of rehearsal time over the years, just sitting, talking to each other, having these difficult conversations. And I think that is the most palpable um feeling you get from the stage is this community we've built from having those conversations um when we were in berkeley we were having uh, we just it was so many difficult nuanced conversations have to happen when you're talking about um you know self-emancipated people and uh and slavery and and American culture and how, you know, our, our dramaturg turned the events. So the, the um, Paradise Square takes place around the events of the draft riots of 1863, which I had never heard of before. Um, and our dramaturg called this, this the draft riots of 1863. It's the night the Irish became white. It was a huge cultural shift. Um, and um, we were having these conversations and in, in 2018 when we were in Berkeley, right? And come the social justice movement of 2020, all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is the language we didn't have back then. Like, oh, these are the, these are the exact conversations we were having in those rehearsal rooms. Um, and now there's a dialogue and it's like in the zeitgeist. And, and um, I think it's great. I'm so grateful for it that people now audiences, I think have the vocabulary tools to see the show in a completely different way than it was seen in Berkeley before the social justice of 2020 happened. Um, uh, it's really dense. Our writers purposefully wanted to create a group of people who were neither heroic nor villainous. Um, it's, it's people trying their best who sometimes make mistakes. Um, and it's a, a pleasure for me to be in this company of actors. Every single, we're a huge cast, there's 40 of us. And every single person has just a specific character and specific wants and specific actions. And you, I feel like I'm in this community, in this bar every night. It's really great. When you talk about this cast and this, you know, 
rather large, expansive cast, which is uh, becoming rarer and rarer uh, on Broadway. But you are one of a number of folks who have kind of been uh, singled out for having these incredible performances. As you kind of go through and watch this show and have been a part of this development, what is it like kind of seeing everybody else in this large cast kind of do things that um, are as revelatory and inspiring as as they are? Because as you said, the because of how important some of these topics are to the audiences, different things probably hit different people and probably hit differently depending on what's going on in the world in that specific moment. Yeah, it's very true. Um, I have to say it's this is the biggest cast I've ever been in, um, <laughs> which, you know, no surprise there. Um, but it's the most, first of all, the most talented, just based like skills, the most talented, the smartest group of people, the most capable group of people I've ever worked with. And we, I think I can speak for all of us saying I trust my life with every single one of these people and vice versa. And um, we are an incredibly, incredibly close knit community. We really truly care about each other. Um, uh, and I think it's just the process. Like I was saying, we've had these, the kind of raw open conversation that like you can't not feel for somebody when you, when, when people are, exposing themselves and, and sharing with themselves with you completely honestly and openly. Um, and I have to, I have to, you know, to answer this question fully, I have to just like mention the covers, the, the understudies and swings who go on. I, I think I'm, I, I, this is not hyperbolic. I think every single one of our swings went on while we were in Chicago in an emergency kind of a situation with like very little notice and definitely no put in. And that's true also for our understudies of some principal roles. Um, Cause it's a very demanding dance show. And so, so you know, sometimes ankles get twisted. Right. Um, and the, the just unbelievable capability of these actors stepping into these roles without rehearsal just completely prepared, which I know is their job, but more than prepared, just completely in and doing their own performance and like there in your eyes. There's no panic in their eyes when these these actors are on stage. They're ready. They're there. And it's 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 unbelievable. I'm gobsmacked every single time. You know, every every cover has gone on and just blown it out of the park. Um and now covers some, you know, have been going on in split tracks and, and it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Well, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of having to have covers and standbys and understudies and, and swings go on. We are talking on Monday, April 11th. And unfortunately, Paradise Square is in the middle of a, of a bit of a shutdown, which I'm assuming, but I, I don't know if it has actually been confirmed, is a COVID-related shutdown. We did just get the press release, I mean, about an hour before we started talking, um, that you will be returning this Sunday or this Saturday, the 16th. Um, what has that been like for, for you to have been working on this show for so long, to have kind of starts and stops of the pandemic? Uh, obviously, you were announced to be coming before the pandemic, and then that obviously got disrupted. You're finally on, and then not too long after opening, you've got a shut down again is that 
been good for your body physically with all of that <laughs> dancing or is it has it been disappointing a little bit of column a column b you know rest rest is always good for a sore knee right um but um it's kind of it's a shame. I'm I'm really bummed because I mean I personally had a bunch of out of town guests that were supposed to sh- see the show this past weekend and they weren't able to, which oh, um, you know is a huge bummer. Um, I'm glad that everyone it, it is it is COVID related. Um, you know, cast of forty in the Ethel Barrymore, we're on top of each other, so we knew that if one person in the cast got it, we would all get it. Um, I feel very fortunate that um, I I have not personally had it yet um, in this wave. Knock on good. wood. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, you know, got my got my negative result today, so that's good. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, we we're kind of used to mishaps, and and I feel like this cast is unflappable. Not just cast. This cast and crew are unflappable. Um, and the reason we are um, staying closed until Saturday is to make sure we have enough bodies on the stage to do the story justice. Because we're telling the story about, like, you know, tenements. You know, people are on top of each other. Um, and when you only have 10 people in a scene that was blocked for, you know, 17 people, it it doesn't feel right. Um, so that's part of it. And just making sure everybody is feeling hundred percent better. Um, I'm, I'm very disappointed that, um, we aren't, haven't been able to share the story in a few days because the energy we get, the, the audience reception has been so incredible here. Um, it was incredible also in Chicago, but I think because this theater is so much more intimate, it feels unlike anything I've ever done before. Um, the, the energy, it's just, I'm, we must be vibrating the walls. You know, our neighbors must be complaining for the noise, right? Um, uh, it's, I miss, I, I, I do, I miss having, having all the people there. Um, and my company, we're all, we're all in like daily contact. Basically we have multiple text threads and we did a couple of zoom conversations over the weekend. And, um, so we definitely miss doing the show and we're looking forward to getting back to it. But I think it's a good, it's good, you know, slow and steady wins the race. And uh, I think it'll be better for us to be able to present the show that we created than to try and um, do something with the people we have available. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's especially at this time of year and and not to put words in your mouth, but this is also the time when you are getting a lot of Tony voters coming in. So you want to make sure that they are seeing the show in its full grandeur and glory. And obviously with a cast of 40, that's a big selling point in terms of the story being told. So um, we are very excited that you are coming back uh, on on Saturday. Um, But if people aren't in New York, there is a way that they're going to be able to see at least you uh, in the very near future uh, (laughs) in a show that I just started watching this past weekend, which is uh, that first episode is an absolute delightful 40-ish, 45 minutes of television. Um, and that's you're going to be appearing in the HBO slash HBO Max show, Julia, about Julia Child. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Um, my episode, I play uh, celebrity chef Andre Saltner. Um, and uh, my episode airs, I believe, on April 28th. Um, it's titled Foie Gras. 
Oh, very, very well, and very well pronounced yeah. as well. Um, so, <laughs> who did you uh, get to interact with uh, on that shoot? Um, so uh, the the without um, spoiling anything, of without course. spoiling it. Um, I it was it was actually really great. It was um, the the kind of the little plot of the of the story is um, uh, Julia and her assistant and and rep. Uh, go out to lunch at like they get a reservation at like the first it's he's so Andre my character was he was like the first celebrity chef so people would go to his restaurant to eat specific dishes and have a culinary experience and it was kind of the beginning of the whole thing and um, they have this excellent meal that he serves to them and uh, then have a kind of a disappointing personal experience with him, we'll say. Um, and it was a great, great uh, way to be introduced to the the cast because it was so intimate. It was just, you know, the three ladies at the table and myself um, and just legendary actresses um, having a really delicious meal. And it <laughs> just, it was it, wonderful. It was really wonderful. Um, it shoots up in Boston, which is a great place to be. And I had family up there. So I was able to see family while I was shooting. Um, it was the most like low key welcoming set. And to really, you know, as, as good as the show is, know that the experience creating the show is even better. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. The first episode uh, is, I mean, it's based off, you know, real life so uh, she uh julia and her husband live in cambridge and that's where she gets her start on television so that's kind of the plot of that first episode so i'm excited to i'm I'm behind so i have to catch up by the 28th you said is when your episode uh, airs yes, I think so. yes all right so i got to catch up by the 28th to make sure i'm seeing that live so no. um all right so let, to wrap up this conversation aj you I've kind of talked about the magic that is being a part of the company at Paradise Square and how excited you are about having audiences back uh, on Saturday for folks who might be seeing, oh, my gosh, there's, I don't know, like 17 shows opening in April. How do I divide up my time? What, what am I going to see if they decide to come to the Barrymore to see Paradise Square? What? Is it that they're going to be taking away? What is the experience going to be like for them to see this show that's not based? I mean, it's based on, you know, relatively true events, but it's not based on any established intellectual properties, not based on a movie. It's a fairly original story, at least in the fictionalized sense. What can they expect to take away from seeing this 40 person cast on stage? Yeah, well, I do want I want to talk to the the, the originality of it and, and yes, how... Please that trend seems to be growing with Broadway musicals and just how much I love that and how excited I am that there are original stories being told that um, it's not like original stories haven't been created right. for the past, however long that the producing trends have changed, but that these, these stories are getting amplified and, and um, uh, produced. I'm just very excited about, and I hope it continues, you know, so we can have more Dear Evan Hansen's and Hades towns and, um, and Paradise Squares. So people coming to see Paradise Square are going to see probably the most energy of any show on Broadway, just because there are more of us. <laughs> but we are all, we're dancing our butts off. Uh, we're belting our faces off. And um, we are 
inviting you. I think by the end of every performance, every person in that audience has been, I was going to say indoctrinated, but that sounds creepy, has been <laughs> welcomed into our community. And it's the community of being an American. This is a formative part of our history. And it's the, the things that happened to these people in the 1860s are happening today to to their ancestors or to their descendants rather um you know this is how and when my family came to america from ireland um this is it's if as an american it's just it's a huge piece of who we are and i think um i think it's really moving and inspiring uh to think about who we could be yeah, absolutely. Well, I am seeing the show the first week of May, so I am very excited to uh, have the opportunity to experience all of that. And even though you picked the wrong school to go to college uh, to celebrate a fellow Central Ohioan, uh, I can put aside the the maize and blue of it all for for a couple hours, I suppose. <laughs> Well, I, I'm scarlet and grateful for you. <laughs> okay, well, very good. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, AJ. I guess enjoy, or I don't know if you're enjoying the week off, but at least physically, let that uh, let that time off help recuperate and oh, get yeah, ready man. for the stretch run. As uh, hopefully, things... stay, speaking of stretch, I have to stay in shape. <laughs> yeah. Are you do Are you doing any dancing in the meantime, yes. just to make sure that you're staying limber? Yeah, yeah I'm going to, um, you know. With my with my big heavy duty mask on, but I'm going to the gym every day just to keep in shape, keep stretched and ready to go for when we get back. Seems like the uh, the wise thing to do from a physical standpoint. So (laughs) enjoy the rest of your day. If you haven't been to the gym yet, uh, enjoy that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the show in a few weeks. Thank you. Thank you. 